Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. On this week's episode, we dive deep on AI with our friend Derek Harris from Architect. Stay tuned. If there's one trend that's certain in technology, is that AI is going to become a bigger and bigger part of all of our lives. And that includes in the smart home. It's an area that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And so when I saw that Derek Harris, my old friend from GigaHome, had gone out on his own to start his own independent media business, and that he's writing more and more about AI, I thought, let's get Derek on the show. In today's episode, we dig deep into what is artificial intelligence, what is the current state of the market, and how it applies to our lives through the smart home and in other ways. This is an area we'll be visiting more and more often in the future, but this is a good start to dig in deep. As always, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can go to technology.fm or just find us on your usual podcast app. Also, do me a favor, check out thespoon.tech for all our latest writing on the future of the Connected Kitchen. All right, folks, that's it for now. Let's talk to Derek. I'm really happy to have Derek Harris coming to me from from Las Vegas. I was about to say CES, but you were in the home of CES, living in Las Vegas. Uh, welcome to the show, Derek. Hey, thanks for having me. I was in the home of CES in my own home. So. <laughs> exactly. It's CES inception, if you will. You know, we used to, <laughs> people who don't know, Derek and I used to work together at GigaHome. Derek is a well-recognized cloud computing, big data expert, and increasingly writing about AI. And that's part of the reason I wanted to have you on the show. Um, you you had recently written a post about how CES and, and consumer is becoming, in a way, the next background for cloud computing and AI. So that kind of piqued my interest as well. So uh, let's talk about that. Talk about how, you know, when I look at, when I look at CES and walked around, you know, consumer facing AI is everywhere, whether it's like all these integrations with Alexa uh, and, and Echo, you started to see Google Home start to kind of make their, uh, kind of make a little bit of a name, although they're, they're fairly recent to throwing their hat in the ring. Talk about what you saw with regards to to AI at CES. Yeah, the one thing that struck me reading some of the CES coverage, I, I've been there in years past, this year I didn't go, but one of the things that struck me reading the coverage from uh, afar or a few miles away was that, you know, I kept here, I kept reading like Alexa is winning CES, Alexa is the only thing that, like it was Alexa, Alexa, Alexa. And I, it struck me like, wow, you know, two years ago or three years ago it would have been, you know, the, these 4K TVs were all anyone was talking about, right? Or, or you know, the, the TVs it, it were all the big thing. And this year it was really like, really? <laughs> I mean, that wasn't that surprising. But like, that actually Alexa, started. That thing. started last year. Actually, I think they said they won last year, and then they the, people said they won this year. But I think it's just because there's there's so many integrations. Right, right. But what struck what struck me was just like you know that, that's a, that's a shift I think from from CES past and. And, and then I, and I got to think, like, I mean, it's, I guess it's not surprising because if, if you've been watching the cloud computing space as I have or, or the AI space for that matter, the, you know, the companies who, who, who build the, the brains for something like Alexa, Amazon in particular, have been doing all they can over the past few years to get developers, you know, like, like working on their clouds and working on and, and giving them access to AI tools via API or, or whatever in order to, 
actually enable these, these sorts of Internet of Things devices, right? So I guess, you know, <laughs> I, I started seeing it and I thought to myself, hey, like, wow, <laughs> this has been happening. Yeah, and maybe it just I just didn't clock it, right? Or maybe it's because I wasn't as plugged in as I used to be. But it's definitely the writing has been on the walls. I think if you've been watching Google and Amazon, what they're trying to sell to custom, what they're trying to sell to their developers on their clouds is essentially this is coming. You're going to be building these smart devices, and you know you want to use our platforms to do it. Yeah, you know the, the leading indicator for me because I came from the semiconductor space is you always knew what was going to happen in consumer facing technologies about three or four years before by just watching semiconductors because they're building the ingredient components to say, hey, we're going to do onboard uh, processing or this has an output to do Bluetooth, uh, you know, long-range Wi-Fi. Um, this has an onboard like uh, AI engine. I'm sure that Broadcom is pitching something like that, that nowadays. And I think it's probably a similar, similar parallel by watching the cloud tools that the B2B guys are providing to uh, the companies that are building consumer-facing technology. They're, they're enabling these underlying things and platforms. And then it just takes a while to eventually trickle down to consumers. Right. I think that's fair. I mean, oh yeah. And you're, you're right. I mean, uh, Qualcomm, um, uh, several other, uh, Qualcomm cuts part, jumps to mind, IBM, some other companies have been talking about, right. These kind of special chips designed, you know, specifically for AI for, for a few years now. Right. And I think, yeah, you're starting to see. I mean, it's getting to something like, like you're starting to see this. You're starting to see this type of thing happen, and you're right now. It's it's kind of coming to bear. It's still kind of I think it's still kind of a cloud centric type of model, but I'm sure a lot more of it will become local. In fact, Amazon is talking about release announced a thing at its big reinvent conference this year to to offload you know some of the processing to the device. So yeah, it's definitely you know the 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 the, the technology is catching up with the promise for sure. Well, and it also often takes. A essentially what is a, a hit by like a consumer company, something that changes the way that everyone thinks about something, you know, similar to the way we saw all the things that we we're promising in the early 2000s around mo- mobility uh, came really, really kind of came to fruition through the arrival of the iPhone, right? And so capacitive mm-hmm. touchscreen, um, app ecosystems, all that really kind of b- was born out of that soil. I think that the, and I've written this quite a few times, the Amazon Echo and the Alexa is an analog to, I think, what happened in the iPhone space for AI because it has captured the consumer imagination and then it has this um, sense of multiplier effect because all these different companies and oftentimes making hardware um, for themselves want to integrate with this thing because it's becoming, a, in a way, this universal interface. Yeah, totally. I think – I mean, despite the amount of like Christmas music and Weird Al that my daughter subjected me to via Amazon Prime over the past couple of months, like I still think the Echo is the most valuable thing I've purchased and the most useful thing I've purchased in years. It's, I mean, it's remarkable. So yeah, I think you're right. It's, it just opened it up. And why, yeah, why wouldn't you want to build something that connects with that? <laughs> and why wouldn't you want to pay Amazon for for, for the back end of that to, inter- to integrate with its consumer facing device? Right? It's a good, it's a nice virtuous cycle. So, talk, you know, one of the debates I keep having with people is now that Google's entered with Google Home, there's this debate of you know what the what I guess the lens through which Google is going to view the world with us its own kind of in-home virtual assistant versus Amazon's is going to be. A lot of people think that Google has such a way to catch up that they won't catch. Amazon with Alexa. I tend to think that Google has its own 
core competencies, whether that's like, you know, the fact that I live and breathe within Google from a, a life management standpoint through calendaring and Gmail, et cetera, all that data is interesting. And from a big data standpoint, I think they have all that to bear. Um, I, you know, what do you think about Google getting into essentially consumer facing AI? What do you think their core strengths are? I, I think that's definitely one of them. I'm an Android user too and a, and a Gmail user and everything. Uh, you know, so, so that part of my life is all Google and it would be very convenient to, to have that tied in. I mean, I would love to ask, you know, Alexa, well, what's on my calendar today, right? While well, I'm drinking coffee, like that actually would be a useful thing. And I can, I can't do it right now. And also Google is just like in terms of AI and AI research, Google is probably far and away the company driving that right now. So, I mean, Amazon's done some great things. The voice control and Alexa is good. All the, all these things, but like, you know, in, in terms of what, what's possible, Google probably has a much better sense of the art of the, of the possible than Amazon does in AI. So you could, you could envision and also search. I mean, to, to the, I mean, you know, <laughs> Google search is good. It's the best. Amazon, Alexa doesn't really have much of a search option, right? So I think, you, you know, know, the, I, the irony Google there is, I don't know if people remember, like the Alexa name actually came from an acquisition that Amazon made of a search engine. Wasn't it? Wasn't that right? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. I, I think, just know that when I ask, nine times out of ten, if I ask it something, I don't get an answer. I think if you trace back <laughs> the origins of Alexa with Amazon, that was a company they acquired a long time ago. I think it was Search, and I think they've used it for some things. It'd be interesting why they pulled that name forward to kind of look at that. I do want to ask you about um, why you think Google is leading in AI. I mean, I know that what we're in the midst of what I would call. Uh, essentially an AI space race or a roll up. I mean, there's just, if you look at the acquisitions and, you know, there's certain companies that track this, right? So like CB insights has a good database of this. There's been a ton of acquisitions. I think you look at kind of what's happening in some of these smaller players as they get bought by bigger players. Would you, do you think that Google has been uh, one of the leading companies buying these companies? And is that why you think they have a lead or part of the reason they have a lead? Well, so, so Google bought probably, the two most, you know, influential AI companies of the past. I mean, I don't know, few years. I mean, it's, the, 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 we'll call them the deep learning companies because that's the the technology deep learning that's really driving you know most of these conversations about AI. Um, so in 2013, Google Google bought a company called DNN Research, which stands for Deep Neural Network Research. <laughs> We're very kind of under the radar thing, but it got you know probably the best. Uh, technology and the best technologists and researchers in the world working on, um, uh, especially working very heavily on computer vision, among other things. And, uh, um, and then the other thing is Google bought DeepMind a few, a couple of years ago. And DeepMind was a UK based outfit that is now the company. When you read about, uh, Google AI, like learning how to play video games and learning, you know, things beyond just like recognizing your voice, but actually learning more complex things. Uh, that was a lot of that came from this company called DeepMind. So I think. And Google has just spent, you know, untold billions researching this. Uh, it's best and brightest people. Jeff Dean among them, you know, moved over from kind of building the infrastructure to building AI systems. And it's just, it, it's put so much money into it and it has, it has so much data to train on. I mean, cause even training these things takes lots of data and lots of compute and Google has both in spades, right? So I, th- I think there are a lot of reasons and Google was just early. It was early to see it. And, you know, Facebook and Amazon and everyone had to play catch up, Microsoft. Um, so, so I think that's why at, at this point, Google is definitely the company 
to beat, if you will, in, in the AI space race. That name, by the way, I, Deep Mind, it, I love, it just sounds so, I don't know if you remember the movie Bowfinger with that company called Mindhead. <laughs> like it just reminds me of that. That's, that's a deep cut for those Steve Martin fans. But, uh, you know, it wasn't, I mean, I know that. I was saying Eddie Murphy. <laughs> yeah, Eddie Murphy and, and Steve Martin and Bowfinger. Um, so there is a, there is a, um, a company that was started by Andy Rubin called, I think, Essential. I don't know if you saw the news. I think it was announced last week where Andy Rubin, who's kind of been toiling or kind of biding his time as a venture capitalist, but you knew he's going to jump back in. Um, for those of you who don't know, he was the guy who started the company Android, but got acquired by Google, and that was kind of got them off onto the mobile races. I know that his last couple of years at Google were very much focused on robotics and AI. Was he the guy that really kind of got them looking heavily at that before he left, or was that did it start before him? You know, I'm really not sure of the history of that. Like, I can tell you that, I mean, it, it was 2012, actually. I mean, if you read the history, I don't think it was. Uh, New York Times or New York Magazine, I think, just published a long uh, feature about some of the, about, about Google's kind of entree into or for into deep learning. But it was really there was a, there, there was a lot of stuff happening in 2012. They 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 started doing some of this research and this, they formed the Google brain project. And I don't think it was, I think it was very researchy to begin with. Right, um, right. It was only, you know, at some point, probably in 2013, they said, Oh, we can really commercialize this. <laughs> like, like, you know, Google photos is one of the first test beds actually, I think. So, so voice control on your Android phone and uh, photos were, were two of the big areas where I think they productized it early. Yeah. You know, and one of the first things I noticed because I've looked a lot at, uh, the, the kitchen and food space, one of the first consumer facing apps that they put out around AI was a, a food app where they basically would, you could take a picture of your food. They would analyze what the food looks like and then give you like a calorie count. I thought, and so they were using some level of, of, uh, of computer vision and, and machine learning there, but you started to throw around what for a lot of us are, are at this point are, are kind of buzzwords until we dig in deep to it. So why do you, if you can, for uh, the listeners, what are the components of AI and like kind of a, a very, uh, uh, I guess, uh, cliff notes version of, of uh, explanation? You, you have deep learning, uh, you have machine intelligent, machine learning. Talk about the different layers, if, we, if you will, and how they differ a little bit. Yeah. So, so machine learning is, I, I think is, is probably a little less AI than, than some of the other terms. I mean, just generally speaking, machine learning has been around and in production. Yep, yep for quite a while. And it's really, you know, a lot of it, you might call it statistical inference or, you know, analyzing a lot of, a lot of data to predict something. I mean, that, that, that has been kind of one of the, you know, the historical definition of a machine learning, I think. Um, and and it often, what, 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 but, but machine learning always required a lot of what they call hand engineering. Like you really had to finely tune these models to get them accurate. Yep. And there was this, you know, the big risks of what they call, you know, essentially if you train it on all of your data, then it's really good at your data, but if you try to take it broadly, more broadly, right, it, it crashes because it only knows what it what it's been trained on and engineered to do. Well, what deep learning did, and I, I will not get into the the technicalities of deep neural networks, <laughs> because but but essentially they have a lot of layers. It's because they kind of, you know, the 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 analogy is to the layers of the way your brain kind of works, and it you know each layer learns something new about what it's looking at. And then a lot of these things, and, and the, the amazing thing is that, the, the, that, and this is what made the AI space take off so fast over the past few years, is that you, you don't have to hand engineer these things as much. The models are much more 
self, they're not self learning, but they, they just require a lot less handholding than some of the old models did. And so, and they were able to analyze a ton of data. So, and that was deep learning, these deep neural networks. And, and so they were able to, because of that, right, they were able to just study. There, there's, this, there's this contest called ImageNet where it's like the computer vision contest where, where they, where teams get to get, researchers get together and they see how well their systems can detect what's in a photo, for example, or identify what's in a photo. And for years, it was kind of stagnant to incremental growth. And then this, one of the companies that Google bought, DNN Research, started doing, using deep learning models to, to train this ImageNet things. And it just like sky, it blew it away. <laughs> it like, it went up to like 90, I don't know, like 98% accuracy or something. And it's just been a competition now building on that. And no one does it in any way but deep learning. So it, it was just a, it, it was a way of analyzing data and doing machine learning essentially that, that A made it much faster and much easier and, and just much more accurate. And that, that was kind of the, the impetus for a lot of what's happening right now. And then, but it works on its voice, its, um, speech, its text, all the, all these areas where they're kind of, some people call it machine perception. Like really, if, if, if you're talking about deep learning or AI today, you're probably talking about that sort of machine perception thing. It can recognize what you're saying or what's in an image or, you know, what, what's typed. Yeah, there's so much. So there's so much of what we're seeing that is around recognizing human inputs. Um, mm -hmm. and so kind of interpreting the data through, uh, computer vision and uh, taking natural language, whether it's sp you know, spoken or written and kind of interpreting that. And then it takes it into the compute and tries to, to interpret it. Is that separate from, I guess, computer cognition or whatever, you know, as things, <laughs> no, as things start to think for themselves better, th those are separate. Uh, are those essentially s separate things or they're, they're kind of merging? Well, I, th I think a lot of people would tell you that they, the latter computer cognition isn't really a thing <laughs> right now. So it's, it's kind of an out there sort of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, you've seen, but it's it a look at but it, it, but you say, I, I mean, as that stuff gets better analyzing data on its own without you hand programming it, isn't that just a step towards that? I think it's a step toward it. And you've seen some steps where that, where, where, where you could go, Ooh, that's interesting. Like the last, maybe two years ago, uh, Google did it. And then some other places did it. They started training as, as deep, uh, AI systems or deep learning systems that would look at a picture, recognize what's in the picture and then write a caption. And that was a kind of a big step because it, it didn't just say, you know, ooh, I know that's a horse. It said, it was able to look at it and go, that's a man in a blue shirt riding a horse. Like, or, and so that, I mean, that was kind of a big step of, of tying together these two types of different systems, the, the language system and the vision system, right? Uh, I, I think it'd be really complex. To, and then, and then you're seeing now like the things that can learn rules of games and play games. So we're, we're working in that direction, but I think if we talk to a lot of people, it, it might take an entirely new sort of system to get to any sort of real, Cognition. Well, I mean, deep learning today is by and large a applied. At least it's 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 a very much a classification thing. Yeah, it's, um, it's very good at like analyzing real world inputs and then putting them into the right buckets and accurately describing them and then presenting that information back or, or inputting that into like, okay, we know that this is a dog. Um, this security camera doesn't necessarily need to alert the person at work because it's not a human. Type of thing, right, right. But but you, I mean, yes. To now to actually start, I mean, if you think about the way intelligence works, there's just so much 
a cognition that's that, that's hard to grasp, really, right? So when you think about something thinking for itself, I mean, you could program it into say, okay, I recognize that's a dog. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna alert somebody. But to be like, I don't know. I, I wouldn't. Tr- there's no system I would trust today to actually make any sort of life or death. So you think? You know, so, so, for me. so yeah, Elon Musk is being a little bit alarmist when he when he talks about that's the next big thing we got to worry about. I think so. I, I mean, I wrote that. Well, maybe that was one of my last things for Giggle, but I remember the time. But I, I think I wrote specifically about Elon Musk, like, and some of these other folks. Like, it's just, it, it's it's worth thinking about because clearly that's a direction a lot of people want to head. But in terms of like, are we there? Not even close. I mean, if you look at the, if you look at people who are trying to train to train these the AIs to to take a test or to pass any sort of like Turing test, right? To confuse it, to mistake it for a human, they're so far away. I mean, they'll be like, you know, my AI has the intelligence of a six-year-old, right? Which, which is not great. Now, some people say, okay, but at some point it's going to like skyrocket to a whatever. Like there's going to be an inflection point. You're not going to know it. Maybe that's the case. But right now it, it, it's just not, not you know, there. What, I mean, it's call- re- what it's really good at, I think, where, you know, they're trying to create this AI to, to replicate human behavior like around – like writing, I, there's like the AI to write articles now. Like, or, or there's the fear will replace news replace newsrooms. What it's good at is doing really formulaic things. Um, right, like, right. Like, like, okay, there's a formula for genre fiction, or there's a formula for like, like, like certain movies, so they can write a screenplay because they just take this formula. Exactly, and you've seen like Disney has trained AI systems to mimic, like. Uh, the, the certain writing styles, right? So you could you could see Disney pumping out those animated movies that go on Netflix, right? A dime a dozen, like like, and you've seen AIs like uh, that, you know, work on people training them to write poetry in certain ways and do these things. They're not creative per se, but they can they can recognize patterns and other stuff and, and mimic it. So like we may time, we may never is. we may never know if James Patterson dies because like they'll eventually just get a software program to write <laughs> to write those formulate James Patterson novels is what we're looking at. Exactly. Right, right. And I mean that's that's a valuable use for someone, whether it's like this world changing use, I'm not sure. So another thing I saw at C S was there's there's a whole class of what what I would call social robots. The one that I uh, I was paying attention to was this one called Mikey, which I laughed at because of the name Mikey. Uh, it was by Bosch, and it was really more of a proof of concept. But I'd be interested to hear your thoughts of like just the physical manifestation of like AI, and like is that something you pay attention to? I mean, I think for a consumer facing company, creating cute little robots for like your kitchen or whatever makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think like just the look of the Google home and the look of the Amazon echo is important, but um, it, it seems like that's just like kind of the wrapper. Um, but I don't know if like core technology companies really think about that. I'm sure they do. And I, I think that there's probably been research to bear this out, but like p- people interact differently with things. I mean, just as a consumer, you can tell like my, my like I, my wife and my daughter, especially they have like a, they, they, they think of Alexa, the echo, like Alexa as a person, right? And they, they talk, my daughter, especially like, you know, I, I, she, I think she gets it, but she doesn't, she kind of thinks maybe like there's a person in there or something. I'm not sure what she's thinking. And I, and I think robots take them to the next level because they look like they, you know, kind of anthropomorphic. Right. And so, and, and, and but, but you see this like, but so yes, I think the design absolutely matters. And, and you see like, I know there've been studies that say like, you know, people will 
like trip. There was a robot. I don't know, it's Philadelphia. Some people were like tripping this ro- walking robot. And so yeah, I, I think the month is a long way of saying, I think the design totally matters. Um, I, I think, I think we'll be, we'd be more engaged with something that looked and that looked like something that you were used to, right? That looked friendly instead of like a black tube. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that absolutely matters. And, you know, I, I frankly, I think about, <laughs> not to ramble, but I think about my Roomba, you know, as like, a, it's, it's the not, it's the dumbest thing ever, but people call it a robot. And it just calling it a robot even, it makes you kind of infer or imply some sort of, uh, intelligence on it. So. Do you talk to your, now that, now that you work from home for your own startup, do you talk to your Roomba? I've spent so much time watching it and like <laughs> bewildered as to why it's doing what it's doing. <laughs> I could have just vacuumed the house, but instead I watched the Roomba. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, why are you going in that room? Why do you, why do you insist on, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I used to, yeah. Well, they're fascinating. I, I, they're, I they are fascinating. Like they're like the most widely distributed, like, physical manifestations of like a, a package of AI, you know, even probably more so than the, the Amazon Echo. And like, they're physically moving around in the world. Like they were like doing this before, like all these, you know, we see all these self-driving cars. Uh, so I think they're interesting to observe and think about, you know, there's another company I don't know if you've seen called uh, Starship Technologies created by the founders of, of Skype. And I've interviewed those guys a couple times because they kind of come into my, my area of interest in vertical, which is food delivery. So they created this sidewalk robot, um, that actually is actually going to probably be distributed a lot faster for actual real world delivery. Um, Daimler just invested in them because they're on the sidewalk moving at three miles an hour. And what they told me is like, this, there's no laws really governing like a slow moving robot on, on the road. Whereas you have to wait for like all this approval for drones in the U.S., et cetera. But, but what was interesting to me is like, they have a certain level to which the AI can take this thing by moving it around the world. It can kind of roll down. It could roll down the sidewalk. It could stop if it sees a human. But if like something confronts it that it confuses it, there's like a there's someone back in some central facility back in uh, like in in Eastern Europe, or whatever. That's actually manning this thing. Like there's actually physical humans that are driving these things that can look at the camera. So. So I think what we, what you're seeing interestingly is like this, much like you saw hybrid cars, you're seeing kind of hybrid com- computers and humans putting these physical things in the world, specifically specifically if they're moving at this point, because I think it's too dangerous for the robots to move at fast speeds. Right, that's a true, and I think that's one of the things actually that that I mean that people are going to have to come come around to. So like your Roomba, for example, I mean most Roombas aren't intelligent at all. I mean they don't learn. As, as you know, as something might, but if, if you wanted something to learn, you know, if you wanted a truly intelligent thing that was going to learn in your home, there's a level of training that people are going to have to do. It's not going to come out of the box ready to go, right? For a very specific task, maybe, but like if you want to teach your Roomba, for example, to how to clean your house in the correct way that you would want it to do, you're going to have to train it to do that. It's not going to sell, you know, if, if it could learn, it wouldn't learn it on its own necessarily. It needs to know what's right and what's wrong. And I think that. That actually is an area where, you know, how people interact with, with these kind of physical manifestations of AI is going to be a big deal because like, if you think, if you think, oh, this thing sucks, it doesn't do exactly what I want or immediately and you don't use it again, you're, you're probably missing out on, <laughs> on a big opportunity if you, but there is some effort that has to go in. Definitely. Um, you talked a little bit about like these companies that were, in the, the data space, the cloud computing space, moving into AI, like I always thought like Google had an advantage because they were doing so much. 
around cloud computing and big data. I, I thought the same about Amazon, maybe even Microsoft. Those are companies that, if you look at them, have some of the biggest efforts, at least in consumer-facing AI, AI, at least the natural language, uh, voice interface, and virtual assistants. Is there a natural – are these companies – was that the evolution, like the cloud computing and then big data and then c- having that competency – did that set you up to move into AI or, or no, it's a, a different set where the companies had to go out and buy a bunch of new companies to gain that competency? I think they had the, the, the I'll say for Google especially and Microsoft probably, Amazon's history is a little, you get varying <laughs> explanations about, about Amazon's history, but Google and Microsoft like had the competency of running these large systems and, and, man, and analyzing data at a very large scale. And, and they had the, so they had the computation on the data uh, expertise. And that was really helpful, I think. What they didn't have always was the, and Microsoft just acquired a company this week, actually, called Maluba out of Montreal. Um, wh- what they didn't have was the algorithmic expertise in a lot, in a lot of instances. And so I think what, once they applied, you know, these new, new types of AI algorithms to the incredible, you know, stores of data and computing that they already had, it was like a natural evolution at that point. Like, <laughs> We can do this, right? So, so, so we should probably start doing this. I was a little surprised, frankly, that Amazon was the first to market. But so, I mean, Google, Google was definitely early with voice recognition and that type of thing and, and some of the photo stuff, but that Amazon was the first to market with, with something like the Echo was a little surprising. And isn't so much like an early market, not just buying the core technology that's been developed, but like, but like, like I mentioned earlier, there's a roll up and the roll up is oftentimes of humans. Like it seems like these companies have been on the hunt for the sharpest minds in AI. And so companies, these, these guys that have spun out of academia that have been doing like this deep research, like they've all, a lot of them have started these companies and most of these are getting bought right now by these big three or four, Google, Microsoft, uh, I think Apple too. They're quietly doing it yeah, and, Apple, and, and, yep. and, and, and Amazon. Is that, do you think that's a, are they buying, basically buying people as much as they're buying the algorithms? Yes. And also I would add, uh, at least the company Dropbox and Twitter and Snapchat and Pinterest and everyone, but not at the same scale, but yes. And they're buying the people. They're buying the algorithms, but they're buying the people too, because the algorithms are only cutting edge for so long, right? And then you have to, you have to keep spinning that up. And you, yeah, if you look back to like the early, early days of like computing, like Microsoft would buy uh, companies. I can't remember Steve Cernofsky wasn't, I think he maybe came through an acquisition. I don't know. Nathan Mirvold maybe came through an acquisition. Like the guys that oftentimes like Microsoft would put in charge of like windows development, I think early on would, would come from these acquisitions. So they'd go out and buy the people that they thought were the smartest. Yeah. That, that's still, I mean, absolutely the case because frankly, so much of the research in AI and I was out done out in the open that, but yeah, the, the code itself isn't like, you know, it's it's not it's not a it's not a strategic advantage for that long probably. But you know, being able to look, you know, a few years out and work on that stuff is where you find the advantage. And are there guys who, because I think I think I think it's maybe been Zuckerberg that's working. It is Zuckerberg's been working on his own like kind of home, like Butler system, like his home smart smart home AI Jarvis. Um, are, are are there thinkers in the space that are just kind of, uh, in a sense, uh, savant, in a sense, savants that are good at this? Or are you seeing general compute and, and kind of cloud computing thinkers who have been able to move over to AI because that's the next wave or the next kind of uh, cutting edge thing? 
I think I think it breaks down like this. There are definitely the uh, the AI, you know, savants or geniuses or pioneers, whatever you want to call them. And 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 there were God, I'm gonna I'm gonna get if anyone hears this in the AI space, they're probably gonna be like, Oh, you missed this guy, but <laughs> uh so I mean there there were like a big four maybe a few years ago. Uh Jeff Hinton, who's at Google, um Jan LeCun, who's at Facebook, Andrew Ng, who's at Baidu, and uh, this guy, Yoshio, Yoshio, Yashua Bengio, who's now like an advisor at the company Microsoft, just bought his advising Microsoft, right? So if, if those are probably the big four, like in the terms of just like hardcore acad- academicians who are studying this stuff. Um, and they're all at big companies now or affiliated with big companies. And you can see the results of that. But, but what's been amazing, frankly, has been the pace that right at which like other people have been able to, okay, like because this is easier to do and because places have been very open about what they're doing. Yeah, now you're it's being productized and commercialized so fast. So there are tools, I mean, Amazon just released, you know, the Amazon AI tools for for building voice recognition into your own stuff. Google has open source and is building a bunch of stuff. Um Microsoft the same thing like it's it's becoming so general purpose now that it's quite it's quite amazing. So you see a lot of I just wrote something the other day like Pinterest Pinterest just did on the head a blog about how you know, it's, it's recommended pins feature is, is now more accurate thanks to this deep learning stuff it did based on work that Google had open sourced in 2013. And I thought, wow, what a mundane use for something that was so novel. But yeah, it, yeah. it's been commercialized so fast that, you know, now it's kind of, I don't say anyone can do it, but like anyone can do it. Things are just getting, like the web's just getting smarter. And a lot of that, we're, we may not think about it, but the, a lot of the stuff powering that may be AI. Yeah, absolutely. Remember the semantic, semantic search and uh, all that sort of stuff. I mean, that's all. <laughs> I, I think that's all an AI problem, you know, solved pretty handily in the next few years. So, Derek, tell us a little bit about what you're doing. I know you you basically have recently become an entrepreneur. Uh, in the past, <laughs> you've you've written for Gigom, uh, for Fortune. You've been uh, you were kind of working in house with a company called uh, Mesosphere, I think that's how you say it. So and and so now you're actually out on your own writing content and producing your own podcast. Tell us about that. Yeah. So uh, earlier this month, I launched my site, uh, Architect, which is spelled with a T-E-C-H-T at the end, um, architect.io. And yeah, so I have, I have a website, I have a podcast, which is at the architects, same misspelling, architectshow.com, and then a newsletter. Um, and yeah, so it's been, that, that's what I'm doing right now, and covering kind of AI, cloud computing, big data, essentially what I'll call the next generation of enterprise IT. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing, and... It's been it's been a learning experience. I can tell you that. I'm hosted on Medium, so like when Medium went down, like I did today, <laughs> you start to feel the you start to feel the pain. You feel the pain. Hey, well, yeah. So I, I will put your link to your your podcast and your and your website in the show notes and on on my stuff. But I appreciate you coming on and talking a little bit about what's going on in AI. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. Well, that was fun. I think I learned a lot. I hope you did as well. If you want to find Derek's site, go to architect.io. That's A-R-C-H-I-T-E-C-H-T dot I-O, architect.io. That's it for this week, folks. We'll talk to you soon.